1999, a slightly disturbing young man declared that we are soldiers of hell. We are neither soldiers nor from hell, but like obedient little sleeper agents we have gradually recruited people from popular culture to create a military force to be reckoned with. Each episode we'll be nominating someone new to join our ranks. There's just no time for podcast. Or uh, bro time to die. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's the name of the episode right there. Yeah, that's um, that's the one where it's lots of like just college dudes who go around shooting up the terrorists and then high fiving and going, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with uh, red cups of beer. <laughs> yeah, deadly beer pong. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we, that sounds this, like a villain in the making. <laughs> deadly. <laughs> Yeah, this is beer pong. <laughs> <laughs> they say he is deadly. Yeah, but uh, we, uh, we've we've come in on this tangent because um, wait, we should preface this with a heavy, heavy spoiler, shouldn't we? Really, yes. um, as people may know, we as Soldiers of Hell, big fans of the Bond franchise, and of course, after. What, 18 months of delay? Is it something like that? Uh, was it April 2020? It should have come out. Um, no Time to Die has finally hit cinemas. I say finally. About a month ago, hit cinemas. I mean, if if it's uh, if it had gone to its original Danny Boyle timeline, it would have been two years ago, which is just ridiculous. I forgot that Danny Boyle was attached for a while. Um I'd be interested to see what his take on No Time to Die. I suppose it may have, may have been a completely different film, potentially. Well, I suppose. I, I'm going to dive right in with the biggest spoiler, if you'll allow me to. Um, I think we should. Uh, but let, let's start at the end. <laughs> I think James, uh, James Bond uh, wouldn't have died if Danny Boyle had made it. <laughs> Do you reckon? But that surprised me because I actually thought it was going to be the other way around. So when... Well, when the Bond was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Hope not. When are we putting this one out? Put it out quickly, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, so when he was fired slash parted ways because of creative differences... I I heard a rumour that he had written into the script, his version of the script, that James Bond dies. And I assumed that was the creative difference, that Bond can never die. So therefore, to see it happen actually on the screen is quite surprising. Now, I... As, as I think I mentioned, some, someone who shall remain nameless mainly because I don't know their name told my <laughs> told my wife the spoiler at the end of the film and the annoying thing is that the, the person who told her hadn't even seen the film themselves her, their, their husband had seen it told them and they just casually dropped into a conversation with my wife oh and of course he dies at the end but not even saying, oh, have you seen it before? And just that's it, ruined it. So Haley came home to me and says, I know what the twist is. So I immediately was starting to think, what could a possible twist be? And the obvious one is um, he dies. So did, right, here, you, here we are. Did you know this when our fellow podcaster and friend David Geeky Guys Pritchett said, I just watched the film, loved it, apart from the end, which I hated. Your response on WhatsApp was, "He dies." Now, did you did you say no. that in did you say I, that in jest, or did you had you gone I, through I, this thought process beforehand? That was an initial knee jerk joke. He because at the time I thought it's ridiculous. They quote they won't kill Bond. They can't yeah. kill Bond. <laughs> that can't happen. But yeah, once I realised there was a twist, I um, and I thought that was one that was coming. I had worries 
the two the main worry that I had was actually that they were going to try and do a sort of as I said to you, it's sort of referring it to the Doctor Who timeless child twist where it changes everything about the history of Bond. I'm yeah. glad they didn't do that and try and come up with a oh, it's just a code name. They're all actually different people, so that it sort of can free them to do what they want so, down to, the line. To make it all one big continuity. Yeah. I'm glad I mean, they didn't do that because that I, would have really hampered it for me. Me too. And they've done some things in it that I think sorry, I think I think this podcast is gonna jump all over the place, but I, I think I think we ought to let it. Um they've they've thrown some elements in there that almost allude to it is one big continuity, but you know yeah. it is impossible for it to be one continuity. Even if you retcon it, there'll always now, be there'll always be inconsistencies. There should I, be some of the things that make it feel like it's yes. I, first of all, straight away, first like opening five minutes, just the fact that he was saying we've had all, all the time in the world, loved it. Yes. Yeah, because it felt right, and the music and the setting felt really good. It almost felt at that point like it was setting it up to be a partner piece to Skyfall, which was, I know, technically speaking, was it Die Another Day was the twentieth film, and yeah. was supposed to have like these little homages here and there, but was actually very ham-fisted and almost comic book. Yeah. Um, whereas I felt Skyfall was actually the 50th anniversary one and actually just had nods here and there to previous ones and at points felt like it could have been a, bon a Connery film, at points felt like it could have been... It just pulled and it was actually a much more celebration of yes. the 50 years of Bond. And this felt like a partner piece to that in that it pulled from... The, and that's the other thing, sorry, about Skyfall, that it ends with sort of resetting back to the start of the Connery years of the male um, with the big leather-bound office and money pennies back in it. And it felt like, actually, we've gone through the early years of Bond and arrived at where it started in the 60s. Yes. And it felt like the natural conclusion to that arc with that. So... I, 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 so the other bits then that I, um, that I noticed was, uh, one of the other M's on the wall, not just Judy Dem, Jet Dench's M portrait on the yep. wall, but there was also, um, is it Bernard Lee? Was it Bernard Lee? Because there's two other actors, isn't there, that's played M before Judy Dench? Yes. And now it's, and it's the Dalton era M, isn't it, that's on the wall, not the, not the Connery through more era, and I can't remember which which was which. Which makes me wonder: Did I just miss the other one on the wall at some point? Yeah, maybe. Because it seems weird that they would leave one out, perhaps the most prominent one out. But because obviously the Judy Dench one was very front and center, hanging over the on the wall, very clear. The other one yeah. was a little bit more the shoulder angle, so it could just be that I missed it, missed it in the, in the background somewhere. And it I, was at that point that I thought, "Oh, they are retconning it," because yeah. if if because because again, it doesn't really make sense. You if cannot you, if, you, if you try to make it fit in your mind. You can't have Judy Dench be Pierce Brosnan's M and Daniel Craig's M. And all the other previous ones, but but what I love about this franchise, and I, I think it actually kind of, considering it's probably the first franchise ever, <laughs> really, on on the big screen, and it's certainly the longest running. It 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 just has its own rules compared to any other franchise. It has its own rules, uh, in in so much that the only rules are, you you know what makes up bond you know what his signature things are you and and you can play in that sandbox as a writer or as a director or as a new actor and you just do what fits that story you're trying to tell and that's what i love about it bond is reimagined in every generation to fit the needs of that generation yeah. while keeping that core bondness 
yes. to it. Now, I loved um, also just little things like the bit where he comes out of M's office and throws the keys and it straight away without even looking lands in the bin. Just like a little okay. nod to when he used to walk in the office and throw the hat on the, yeah. the hat rack. A little nod towards it. Um, the, there was also big Tim D's Aston Martin, wasn't there? Yep. Yep. And it's nice to see that era get a little bit of love. Yeah. Um, and at the end, um, just, I felt, oh, the opening, sorry, the opening credits felt like they were ripped from a 60s Bond film. Oh, the, the first, the first little, uh, like, um, pastel coloured, squares that came on screen they're from dr no aren't they the, the circles to the three blind mice yeah i think yeah, yeah. yes the little yeah and then and then the quality of the, the slightly fuzzy almost like 70s style photography of like the the stuff that's filmed yeah no flashy cgi or anything but then there's like the um it's sort of towards the end it's got the the statues of Britannia that are sort of reminiscent of the statues in the opening of Goldeneye. Yeah. And there were, there were little hallmarks in it all the way through that I felt almost cherry pick the signature bits from a last Bond film. So you've got Felix Leiter dying. Yep. He doesn't technically die in Licence to Kill. He's just mangled by a great white but yeah. you know quality of life <laughs> you've got um the sort of the real proper old-fashioned bond lair and i don't think daniel craig's had that sort of over the top here's my private island base style mm-hmm. villain before so you've got uh, that. Well, there sort of was in Skyfall, but it comes in at the midpoint in the film rather than the end. Yeah, and it's more of a sort of shabby hideaway than a sort of an elaborate ex-missile silo that's got the pond that opens. And yeah, yeah, it's good, it's, and I like that. Um, all that sort of stuff, really good. There was something else about it as a last Bond film. I was thinking, I can't quite remember it now. It'll come to me. Yeah. So I, I, I'm really pleased with that. I, I like, for me, and well, let's come back to this. He, he dies at the end. It's, it's the only film we've ever seen where James Bond dies. I was kind of all right with it. I was surprisingly all right with it. Um, right, first of all, I actually really liked it as a film. Yeah, Let's get that out of the way. I thought it was a really good film. I thought the action was really good. I think yeah. it's probably some of the best set-piece gunfights in um, a Daniel Craig Bond film. That bit at the end where it's just him working his way up the tower was stunning. That was like John Wick, wasn't it? I yeah. think it's, it's borrowed a little bit from that. And also from um, the director um, did a, a sequence like that. Have you seen True Detective? Yes, I have. Yeah, there, there's an episode with a one camera. Yes, they're really, I know which one. Is, yeah. yeah, it's where they're jumping over the fences, isn't it, in the, in the neighbourhood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I thought that was great. I thought the... I think there was a lot of concern going into it from certain aspects of the internet about the feminist agenda. I thought actually that's bollocks. You've you've just because you've got they never at any point tried to make out that um, as it Lashana Lynch's character was a replacement for Bond. It was just a well you've been retired so your number's been reassigned, and yeah. she didn't try to overshadow. Bond. It was still very much Bond's film. It was playful, uh, the banter between them, wasn't it? It wasn't. It wasn't frustrating and annoying. No, um, it, yeah, just it, just the um, 
the little bit I liked about the um, does that bother you here in the back and forth? Yeah. The constant ruffling of each other. I did think it was maybe a little bit ham-fisted uh, the way that just before the last mission she says, can I request Bond is reassigned 007? Yeah. I think that maybe that was unnecessary and perhaps is in there just to reassure a few people that maybe don't really need reassuring. Yeah. Uh, I thought Paloma should have been in the whole film. She was good. I enjoyed I, that. I would have to go and see a Paloma solo film because she was really good. And that, for me, is the answer to the problem that people have been trying to solve. You don't need a female James Bond, but you you do need a franchise or a spin-off or whatever that, that has a, a strong female secret agent. And, you know, either of those characters, I I think, would would be good in a... Whether it's their own franchise or whether it's it's just a continuation, and we'll we'll come back to uh, I, I'm, I'm rather than jump into it, I, I, I do want to mention that actually. What what would you do next in terms of continuation of actors? Yeah, um, I um I thought the the actress who played Paloma was really really good. I thought she nailed that sort of fake naivety. I've got three weeks training. <laughs> that was brilliant. Just nailed it and then flipped it on its head completely. And he's like clearly a very proficient agent. I thought she, I thought she nailed that character so well. It was um, a, I love what I've always enjoyed in the Daniel Craig era is seeing Daniel Craig's always assured, always stoic, carrying the weight of, the world on his shoulders and being vulnerable when I've, I've that's him and he's doing it really well, but I always enjoy it when he's just slightly unnerved or slightly puzzled by what's going on and he actually gets amused. So he was amused by her, wasn't he? And he was amused by the yes. fact that he started unbuttoning his shirt and he's like, what? <laughs> and it, it reminded me of the scene in Skyfall when, when he's strapped to the chair and, um, and, uh, Javier Bardem's um, unbuttoning his shirt and sort of flirting with him and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and he's saying you're trying to work really out good. what your training is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I had a complaint about... In fact, I'll come, I'll come back to this. If I had several complaints, I don't think the villains in the Craig era, apart from Le Chiffre, have really been done justice. I think I they've think, been. I think that's a fair point. Yeah, I think they've been good. I think they've been really good villains that have just been given minimal screen time. Silver in Skyfall, really good. Not in it enough. Um, Blofeld. I don't necessarily think the Blofeld was handled. We all knew that Christopher Waltz was going to end up being Blofeld. Yeah. But I think the way he came around and went, my name is now Blofeld, it's sort of like they, they could have handled that introduction slightly smoother. Yeah. And I, for the love of God, I do not see why they had to kill him off in this film. Save him. And because we all know you could do what you want with Bond continuity, you could bring it if you can have the same M for for, for um, Pierce Brosnan and, and Daniel Craig, you can have the same Blofeld at the back end of Craig to the next one. Yeah, you could have. Craig. Oh my God, Blofeld's escape from prison. There was no need to have. Can't. Yeah, that felt yeah. a little bit. But likewise, you can reboot him again, can't you, if you want yeah. to? Yeah, yeah, you can. But um, I don't think Blofeld yeah. to Bond is as important as Joker is to Batman. No. And I think it's because there's not ever been a consistent approach to Blofeld. He's been different in every film. Yeah. Pretty much. And his character has been different. I mean, you know... Yes, he's always been a megalomaniac, but you can't really put 
Telly Savalas and Donald Pleasance in the same category, can you? They're playing yeah. completely. <laughs> the um, I don't think Safin was given enough screen time to sort of breathe between first being introduced and the end. I'm mental. I'm going to take over the world. Well, his motivation's a bit all over the place. So he he was. I mean, we're really picking holes now because the, the, uh, there isn't ever a Bond film with a plot that actually makes a lot of sense when you when you sit down and, and go through it. Um, no. But with this one, it's kind of like his motivations were to kill Spectre and then he did it by the midpoint in the film. So then it's like, and now... I'm going to put this thing in everybody so I can kill whoever I want when I want. It's like, really? Why? <laughs> like, some... you've, got, you've got your revenge. You don't need to do that just because you can. I, I didn't <laughs> understand his obsession with Madeline. No. It's like, didn't and fully the age, understand age that. thing's a bit weird, isn't it? Because he's like, she's, a, she's still a child when he meets her. And then she's a... Uh, She's a thirty-something-year-old woman, and he's a thirty-something-year-old man. When when they meet again, it's like, how old was he when they first met? Then you know, I know he was in a mask. Yeah, he could he could have been a teenager, but mm, not sure. Actually, the thing that irritated me most about the whole film is that Bond dying massively for me when I start to think about it, undercuts the weight and gravity of when he infects him with the virus. That means he can't ever go near Madeline and his daughter because he never, it's not going to have an effect. He's going to die on the Island anyway. The weight of that moment of, Oh my God, you, you can't ever go near your loved ones. It's just like, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to die in two minutes anyway when the missiles come. Well, I thought about it the other way around. I think, I think there's two things intended. One was by by introducing a daughter, it added more to his sacrifice. Like you've seen him in twenty twenty four films previously do his best to not only save the world, but also saving, save the woman. And in this one, it was like, if he'd have, if he'd have gone, if there was no child, it would have just been, what are you doing, Bond? You normally save the world and save the woman. Why this time are you just giving up on saving? You know, like, so, so I think a child made sense and therefore added more to, more weight to that moment and therefore you were I know he was bleeding out but in theory there was always that he can he'll still get out of it kind of thing um, but by being infected it meant that he didn't want to get out because he could never go near them I, for me that all made sense yeah it, 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 I think, it, for me, it would have been a good way to lead into the next era that you could sort of use that as the lever to push to say this is why he becomes the lone wolf, never trusted anyone, doesn't want to get close to anyone again, character that he is because he's been so badly burnt by that yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's almost like yeah, yeah, they doubled the jeopardy when they didn't need to. For me, you you okay. could have had either he died or he's infected. But it, it's splitting hairs. It you know, it, it's splitting hairs. I I was all right with it. Um, the so way he died. In... Sorry. Go on. Yep. I was going to say the way he died. Um, sort of being blown up on from afar, I was expecting it to be potentially a much closer mirror of being unable to save Vesper from drowning. Yeah. 
in that he potentially would have sacrificed himself by drowning to save someone else to get them out of a chamber or something. Yeah. That maybe would have been it. it, 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 He almost did that with Felix. Yeah. Yeah. Poor old Felix. Yeah. The lad who's played the the bad guy with Felix. um, I just kept thinking, oh, was Zac Efron not available? (laughs) I've seen him in a few things and he always plays a knob. (laughs) He's a knob in everything. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's like like the old um, in the sort of is it late eighties early nineties? If you can't afford Alan Rickman, get Charles Dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, yeah yeah. Um, I'm gonna rather than keep going through the plot. Then what's next? So of the actors or of the characters rather that didn't die because obviously James Bond will return. What actors? if any, would you roll over into the next era? For me, it depends on how they want to play it. I think you mentioned earlier in the week that you thought that the Craig era is almost going to be like a Dark Knight-style, self-contained mini-franchise. Then, In many ways, it, it works if you only look at Bond alone's arc. Because it goes from first mission to death. Yeah. With the slight overlap, obviously, of the M at the one end. Um, So, assuming that they don't want to just go, right, chop, that's the end of that era, we're starting completely afresh, I would keep Ray Fiennes as M, I would keep um, Ben Whishaw as Q, and I would keep um, Moneypenny. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I, I, yeah, I I like them all. Um, I would let Ray Fiennes go because one thing that just sort of got swept under the under the carpet at the end of the film was what an appalling decision he'd made in creating that weapon in the first <laughs> place. You can't really survive that and the diplomatic problem of I've just blown up an island that's in the middle of Russian and Chinese territory. <laughs> like, yeah, you, can yeah, can yeah. you really survive that? I mean, I, I suppose it might end, it might begin with his sort of resignation, maybe. The, um, yeah. I sort of felt that throughout the course of the, um, from Skyfall to, no Time to Die, his character as M went from annoying knob, actually he's pretty cool, annoying yeah. knob. Because <laughs> 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 he starts yeah. off by irritating and trying to piss off Judy Dench. Then he becomes M and he realises he's ex-military and he's actually all over his action. He's pretty good in um, Spectre because he's like, in, is it the London Town Hall shooting the place up. Yeah. And then he's responsible for everything. <laughs> Consistently making selfish cover-up decisions. But, yeah, I quite like him. He, he And what doesn't make sense, actually, is he created that weapon on the basis that it's impossible to get in the room with the enemy anymore. Yet in the previous film, Spectre, he was completely against Andrew Scott's character who saw him as a dinosaur and was creating a surveillance system because it's impossible to get in the room with the enemy. And actually, you still need to be in the room with the enemy with that weapon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As... uh... As one thing I wasn't clear about actually was whether, um, no, actually no, I've just thought about it. No, it doesn't matter. Um, what, so where do I think they're going to go next? Obviously, a new Bond. I think um, Barbara Broccoli has said I'm not going to do a female Bond because, like you said, actually the the solution to that problem is better female characters, not arbitrate an existing franchise. 
And for that Pretty. that reason, I would carry Nomi over as a as another double O. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason why she can't pick up the Felix Leiter role as a sort of support colleague character and and appear in other missions. You know what I would do actually. I would have a, a more of a ensemble type approach. Just, I mean, just to just to expect. I mean, it's only one film at a time, isn't it? You can always kind of go back if it doesn't work. The, the franchise has done that forever. Um, you think of the Mission Impossible type approach, where. Ethan Hunt is very much the central character. Tom Cruise is very much the central actor. But the whole... Every, every mission takes place with a team. And I wonder whether having a more of a team around him rather than being a lone wolf just might be a new take on the character. Bond it's certainly or... worth trying. I suppose... it. The bigger question is, are they going to acknowledge this film in the next film? Are they going to ignore it? Or are they going to sort of come up with a reason how and why this film can't, you know, but, so are they going to say, just forget that film, we're just going to do another Bond film, or just ignore it completely and never mention it? Are they going to say, um, actually, you never actually saw him die, he made a miraculous escape? Or are they going to sort of do the, uh, well, we're carrying on, this is a, a, a new person, but it's it's James Bond, but it's, it is a code name sort of thing. So I don't think it'll be the latter two. I think it'll just I, be I hope not. Ca- carry on and pretend that it didn't, happen it's just a new thing i guess there is a there, there is a fourth option which is a full reboot isn't there um which casino royale was meant to be but then they sort of backtracked on that over the course of craig's era by introducing other elements that that again made it uh, a sandbox uh, uh uh you know a, a bunch of things that are familiar as opposed to I need to worry about what happened previously. And I think I would like them to continue to do the same. The only difference being is prior to Daniel Craig, James Bond films never, even if they referenced events in previous films, it was never dependent on it. Whereas I think the Daniel Craig era, (laughs) this film yeah, you could watch it as a standalone thing, just about, but it certainly um, is a better film for standing on the shoulders of the the four that came before it, and and I think yes, that's, that's the same for you know Quantum of Solace is probably the weakest one out of all five, but it still works because it it continues the story of Casino Royale to a point. Uh, you you can almost see it as one one five film arc rather than it wasn't written that way, but it it definitely is that. So the question well, for me is: Are they going are they going to do that again and have a continued arc for the next Bond, or are they just going to go very much back to the old school um, standalone? missions i suppose the most the most you've had in previous eras was roger moore's bond visiting tracy's grave yep and that weird moment at the start of our majesty's secret service where uh, he turns to the camera and goes this never happened to the other fella yeah <laughs> complete fourth ball breaking <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and that—that's where the um, the code name thing I think sort of comes from. That's the first, you know, that's the first time the franchise said, "Well, you know, we acknowledge some things changed, but we're carrying on," you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Poor old... Uh, poor old... Oh, his name's gone. George Lazenby. George Lazenby. I was... Oh, God. <laughs> I focused on the Laz bit. I was thinking, Les... Les what? Les Dawson. Les, Les Battersby. That's it, Les... <laughs> Les Dawson with his exploding Jumperton pen. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, that's yeah. a niche reference. Yeah. Uh, if if you want to understand that, you're gonna to have to seriously backtrack and uh, go through the old box sets of. Our... <laughs> well, I'm not even gonna to bother to explain yeah. it. Yeah. So, in, I suppose in summary, I like the film. I like the Craig era. I like the style of it. I'm excited for what comes next with a few worries about how they try to address it. Um, but, you know, they will inevitably probably get some of the best paid, most skilled writers that there are in order to move it forward. I, I, I think, would like them. Sorry, go on. Finish no, I was, I was going to say, I just, and I, and I think I probably hope most for what you've said that they just go straight into another film don't acknowledge the events. It's just like, here we go. Here, I've got a mission for you, Bond, and crack on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That would be my hope. That would be my hope. Um, yeah, in terms of skilled writers, Purvis and Wade have written every one since I think it's Tomorrow Never Dies. Now, there's some tonally different movies from there through to through to this one. But um, it's the, it's who they get to pos- polish the script that seems to make the difference. Yep. So I reckon I can spot some of Phoebe Waller-Bridge's input on this one. Um, I'm pretty sure she wrote the lines about, um, her, has this desk got bigger or have you got smaller? Um, yeah. I loved that scene. I've never seen Bond just... just absolutely <laughs> rip into M before. Yeah, um, and, and consistently just call him by his actual name, not M. Yeah. yeah, I suppose if you're not employed by him, then do what you want, can't you? Yeah, um, <laughs> just the way he goes, you seem thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. So that is that. But I can, I, I can point to the bits Purvis and Wade will have written. You know, they've definitely written the bit about um, smart blood, and they've definitely written the, the 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 kind of the plot. They do the plot, don't they? Yeah. And then someone else comes in and and, and writes and, the words. Yeah, makes it makes it work, or doesn't in the case of Die Another Day, because I think it was just them. I just and, oh God, every time I think about it, it makes me just cringe. It really needed a couple of extra people polishing that. They could have turned it into something good, but, yeah. Every, every now and then, I, re- I sort of remember. So, they tried to make out that they had a machine that turned a Korean bloke into that. That's what you're going with. I mean, I know we go far-fetched, but that's what you're going with. And his plan is to use a diamond to turn the sun into a laser. Okay, <laughs> suddenly Moonraker seems to feel quite grounded. <laughs> Why your invisible car escapes, and and then I mean, you, and then and then you surf using using the bonnet of a drag racer. I just oh god! Do you know what? It's like after that film, I'm surprised anyone involved in the franchise said, "Of course, I want to bloody continue." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh god! So, um, have you got any uh, thoughts? On assuming, of course, that Chris Barry isn't available, who could be, <laughs> <laughs> who could fill the shoes next time around? You know, I haven't actually. I'm not. There's, there's a few kind of big names that I don't think will happen. So Idris Elba's too old. Um, Tom Hiddleston is too famous for being Loki. Uh, likewise, Henry Cavill is too famous for being Superman. 
I don't think it'll be any of them. Uh, Tom Hardy as well. I think he's too big. I think it'll be someone less known. Uh, therefore, I probably don't know them very well. Is my best guess. I so, have you seen the Umbrella Academy? No. Right, I saw something saying that apparently the guy who plays, um, I think I think the character's called Luther. He's like the main leader of the Umbrella Academy. He's got his head grafted onto like um, a gorilla's body. He's been in a few bits and pieces before. In fact, he's in Game of Thrones. He's okay. there's a bit where I think he's in the last series where Daenerys is going to get one of the dragons to torch an old bloke, and his son comes up and sort of says, "Oh yes, I know um, you mean. Yeah. Yeah, 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 him. He's apparently in the running, and that sort of makes sense." If you look at the way they cast Daniel Craig as someone who'd done a bit, looked like he could work, but wasn't mega well-known, so could create yeah. it without any baggage. I think they'll do the same again. Yes. Um, and I think that's consistently sort of what they, they have done in the past, isn't it? They've looked at... I mean, even going back to Roger Moore being cast, he you know they wanted more because he was sort of known for the saint, but wouldn't have been a mega, mega, mega star at that point. Yeah. Then same with Dalton, same with Pierce Brosnan, when he was known for Remington Steel. Uh, maybe it's the person that was offered it instead of Daniel Craig the first time around, and they'll continue that trend. <laughs> yeah. It seems to go on and on like that. Yeah. Yeah. You get offered it, then you don't get it, then you get it. Yeah. Um, I genuinely don't know. I think I agree with you. I don't think it'll be any of the big names that already seem to be thrown around. No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure they'll go for a same type as well. I think they've done that sort of bruiser type bond now with Craig and they might go a different way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The only thing is the audience, the modern audience expects... Um, a personal stake for their central characters, don't they? And Craig's done that exceptionally well. But can you continue that and and not have the focus on the the um the bad guys? So where the bad guys missed out, Daniel Craig got a lot of backstory. Do you? Yeah, you need to give more um, credence to the bad guys moving forward. That might be another way to do it. Yeah. So anyway, James Bond will return. We can we can put future James Bonds on the ledger. It's time to resolve the outstanding issues from the last podcast a longer ago. Let's mark things off the ledger. Let's mark things off the ledger. Let's mark things off the ledger. Ledger, ledger. Some things we still have on our ledger are how our homebrew beers have gone. Uh, and we captured our moments of, of uh, thinking those. So we'll, we'll, we'll drop those in. Here we go. It's time for my first pinter. In here is a Stars and Stripes IPA. It's been brewed for five days, conditioned for a further five or six, five and a half. Um, it says up to seven, but I can't wait. I'm going to lift it out very carefully because I don't want to disrupt it too much. Not light because it's ten pints of beer. I cannot wait! I cannot wait any longer! Ah, right. I'll put the handle on. Well, actually, we've got to get the um, air out of it first. I have to turn this to off gently. You see? Smells, I can smell it. And off. Right, turn it round. I'm going to pour off the first bit. Wish me luck. There'll be quite a bit of sediment in this first bit. The first sort of 
half pint we're going to get rid of. Here we go. This is it. This should be a proper glass of beer. Gently poured. Hopefully no sediment. It's been conditioning for a long time, but I'm wondering whether because I moved it, what a difference it might have made. There we go. Let's give it a go. Ooh, stronger than I thought it'd be. Very deep flavoured. Nice though. Cheers! Right, this is the Caribou Slobber IPA. First one, it's been six weeks in the making. So let's see first if there's a... Oh! Sounds of some carbonation there, so that's good. Not as much as I would have liked, but see how it looks. It's not particularly bubbly. Well, let's have a. Oh, I'm quite happy with that. Oh yes, that'll do nicely, thank you. We've got a few more to go with, uh, have we persuaded Simon to get an Xbox? Not yet. We'll no. Keep posted. <laughs> <laughs> He's sort of cobbled together his own <laughs> Frankenstein's Xbox. Yeah. A PlayStation um, joypad on a laptop. On a laptop um, streaming Xbox Cloud. Yeah. If it if it does the job, if it does the job. Um, was there anything else on the ledger? I can't think now. Uh, probably upcoming movies, so we'll save them for for future. Yes, I mean, if it as we've said before, this sort of autumn winter has been nothing short of phenomenal for yes. fodder. So I think next we've probably got. I'm sure June will get a mention at some point once I've seen it. Yeah. Um. Then we've got Ghostbusters later this month. Uh, Spider Man Three, Eternals, all that jazz. Coupled with the second half of He-Man. Yes. And uh, Jodie Whittaker's final series of Doctor Who. So, yeah, loads to come. Anything else you wanted to add in summary? It still annoys me that they try and make out that they could work out all of the previous villains from the Daniel Craig Bond films were linked from one ring. <laughs> You can do that in his pyjamas. That's true. sipping his first cup of Earl Grey. <laughs> yeah. No, I liked it. I think he's gone out on a rousing success. It was a good film. He's gone out on a high. He's gone out in a way that I think does him proud and does him a great service as having a full arc, which, uh, yeah, I liked it. In my summary, I am just pleased to say that we've been able to release a podcast episode that is 100% um, dedicated to a currently released James Bond film. Because despite the fact that we've been doing our radio show slash podcast on and off over the last 20 odd years, um, I don't think we've yet achieved that. <laughs> no. Now, oh, there is something we've forgotten. What? We have forgotten to uh, doff our caps and uh, raise a glass to our newly appointed soldier of hell. It's time for a rank. What shall we call this feature? The soldiers of hell rank off? Come rank with me? Strictly come ranking? Maybe just a load of rank. You would think it was only fitting to admit Daniel Craig to the Hall of Fame. But actually, as you've rightly pointed out, James Bond is already in that. Yes. And I've still got reservations about admitting Daniel Craig as such, because let's not forget he did the Golden Compass. <laughs> you win some franchises, you lose some others. So I think we've decided that Felix Leiter is going in this time, and he's deserved yeah. it. Yeah. he's 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 been a... Part of Bond's life for 
for almost as long as the franchise um, in various different guises. But but this recent version, played by Jeffrey Wright, has um, cropped up many times throughout the the course of Craig's era. And um, for them both to end up popping their clogs um, is quite quite sad, really. Um, yeah. Oh, I think he's been a great Phoenix lighter. I've loved him, and he's—I think he sparkles in every scene he's in. And he's going to be a uh, a James Gordon, isn't he? Next, a James Gordon. James Gordon. Oh, of course, a, a James Gordon. Yes, I thought I was thinking what. Yes, yes, he's going to be um, in. Uh, he's racking up the franchises now as well, isn't he? Because technically, he's part of the MCU because uh, he's the Watcher. In what if? Oh right, okay. His yeah. voice is the Watcher. He's done Bond, and he's now in Batman. Yeah. Who did he's you think I meant when I said James Gordon? I was, I was sort of in my mind blurring Gordon Ramsay and James Corden, which was horrific. <laughs> it's like a sort of like a. I suppose that would. That, yeah, that's almost like what the original Baron Harkonnen from David Lynch's Dune oh, looks like. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh god, he's going after um, uh, Christopher Lee's record for franchise participation. Yes, yes. he is. Right. Um, so bringing it back round, salute Felix Leiter. Good film. Looking forward to next time and all these films to come. So uh, we'll, uh, yeah. There is one more thing on that I have remembered: fixing your Atari which I haven't yet managed to achieve. So we'll report we'll, we'll back roll, on We'll that. roll it over. We'll roll it over. <laughs> cool. All right. Good to chat. Always yes. good to chat about Bond. And uh, we'll catch you soon. Soldiers of Hell is a Fosgate Studios production. If you enjoyed it, please like, subscribe, comment, and share. The Soldiers of Hell will return. <laughs>